We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. All right, today we're going to dive into Psalm. Still in the Psalms, we've been in here just for the month of July, and so uh, this will be the last week we do Psalms. I think to, um, I keep saying tomorrow. Next week, we're going to dive into Luke, okay? So again, we're taking this whole year, 42 weeks of it at least, to go through the story of God, to remind us that the story of the story we're invited into. So next week, we're going to be in Luke. Today, we're going to be in Psalm 19. I just want to remind us that these psalms were written to be sung. That these songs, these hymns, these prayers, these poems weren't just read and memorized. They were sung. Tim had a great illustration with the kids last week, and I'm going to borrow it. Tim had a great illustration. He said, how many of you know a poem off the top of your head? How many of you could recite a poem off the top of your head? You guys can? Which one of you wants to do it real quick? Go for it. That's good. That's amazing. Because I know none, right? Yeah, great job. Yeah, poems are hard to memorize, right? Usually it's like, usually we memorize them because we have to for school, and then the second we're done writing it all down, we forget it. They're hard to memorize. But songs, however, songs stick with us. There's something about setting something to music, setting something to song that our soul connects with. And we're like, man, I, I get that. We get to enter in. Like when we, when we start singing it when, it, when it's put to song, we get to enter into the meaning, the purpose behind it. Anybody know a song right off the top of their head? They know all the words to. With the kids, the kids did the same thing. They're like, uh, no. And this was, was old MacDonald had a farm. We know that one, right? Yeah, we know that one. Uh, I was trying to think of one this morning. And the only one I could come up with, we watched uh, TV in the late 80s, early 90s. I tried to think of a more spiritual one. All I could come up with, in West Philadelphia, born and raised, on the playground is where I spent most of my days, chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool, and all shooting some b-ball outside out of school when a couple of kids, they were up to no good, started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got one little fight, and my mom got scared. She said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. Right? Everybody knows that song. I could have kept going, but I was like, nah, for the sake of time, we'll just stop there. There's something about songs that just like, just we connect with, even if it's on in the background, right? I never tried to memorize Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but every day I watched it, it was like, yeah, here we go. As soon as the opening notes started, I was like, this is my jam, this is my, this is my TV show, Right? I get that look a lot from my kids. Like, oh, dad. 
These psalms were meant to be immersed in. The people of God, Israel, would sing these songs. And so as they were on, as they were wandering, as they were walking, as they were sojourning, they would sing these songs, these hymns, these prayers, so that they would remember. They would remember who God was. They would remember what He has done. They would remember His purposes for them. They would remember what He's called them to. All of these things. So sometimes I feel like we, we get stuck in just reading the Psalms. Right? We take Psalms and just use them for devotional tidbits. Oh, that's a good word for today. And they are those things. So much more. Tim Keller, in his book, um, The Songs of Jesus, he writes this We're not simply to read Psalms, we're to be immersed in them so that they profoundly shape how we relate to God. The Psalms are the divinely ordained way to learn devotion to our God. We're to be immersed. Make them part of our, our prayer. Make them part of our lives. The hard part with the Psalms is there's no rhyme or meter to a lot of them, so even when we try and put them to music or song, it's like, oh, that kind of sounds weird. Have any of you watched The Chosen, the TV show? Have any of you guys watched that? It's a... Um, it's done through Angel Studios. I, I'm not sure of the background behind it, but we've watched a, a, a couple episodes as a family on, on Sundays as part of Sabbath. And it does a great job. Usually, uh, not to bash on Christian culture, but usually Christians don't do media well, right? Uh, there's few Christian artists, like back in my day, it was like Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman, DC Talk, right? Like, that was the rap group. Like, I was allowed to listen to in order to listen to rap, right? But for the most part, when it comes to media, Christians have often tried to copy what was popular and often haven't done it well. This show is done well. It illustrates the Bible in ways that I think are accurate in a lot of ways. Um, and it is not cheesy. Anyway, in this show, oftentimes they sing the hymns. They sing the psalms. They sing the Shema. And it's awkward to hear in our ear because we're used to rhyme and meter and rhythm, and there's none of that. It's a praise. And so let's remember that as we read the psalms this morning. Let's dive in. Psalm 19. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 19. I'm like right in the middle of the way here. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There's no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole world, to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. 
In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. I'm going to pause there. This first part of Psalm 19, uh, it's a psalm of David. David just kind of uh, just starts praising God. I'm reminded, I tried to think back, and, and back in that day where, where David was, there was probably, in fact, not probably, there was no light pollution. At night, he could look up into the heavens and see just God's majesty. The Milky Way, planets, stars, just littered the sky. It wasn't like Phoenix where you look up at night and you might be able to see three or four. Right, a couple planets, the moon, and that's about it. But even here, you take a road trip three hours north, right? You go to Flag go to Williams, you go camping, and you look up, and you're just like, man, this is amazing. So David's just glorifying God, this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The expanse proclaims the work of his hands. God, as I look up, I see your glory. This is often what we call general revelation, or theologians called general revelation. God, you have revealed yourself generally to the whole world. That even if someone never knew who you are, had never heard your name, when you look up, they have to say, man, there has to be a God. That's what the general revelation generally when you look up, when you look out and you see creation, when you see how things are ordered, when you see the beauty and the majesty and the structure of creation, of this world. Have you ever, have, have, have you ever had that time? Have you ever had that time where maybe it's a sunset, maybe it's a sunrise, maybe you're at the beach, right? Maybe you're at Huntington Beach, sitting on the beach, and you see the sun dip behind the ocean. And when it does, the sun, the sky is just littered with clouds and pink and blue and orange. And you just say, oh, your soul just kind of sighs and just says, oh, God, you're beautiful. That's amazing. Or maybe you've been in the mountains, right? And just the smell of the pine trees. The pine needles underneath your, underneath your feet. You wake up in the morning and the dew of, of the night is still on the, summer, on the grass. Right? There's the smell of dew in the morning in the forest that you're just like, oh, yeah, God, you're good. You're good. Or maybe you're in the middle of the desert. After a monsoon rain, just the smell of rain after a good downpour in the middle of the desert, and you're just like, ah, oh, God, you're good. That even if there's ne if you've never heard the name of God, just those times where something within you 
Something in your soul says, nah, this didn't happen by chance. This is amazing. That is God generally revealing the gift of God, the grace of God revealing to humanity through the beauty and the majesty of his creation. I put together a little short video So when we read, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaim the work of his hands. I didn't want us to just hear that this morning. I wanted us to see it through. I put together a little video. Let's see if this works. Just a few pictures. See the majesty. The expanse of God's hands. The expanse of God's work. David and Israel didn't have the privilege of having a telescope in the middle of space to be able to to see all of God's handiwork. To see how vast the expanse truly was. But he didn't need to. He knew who held it together. He knew that those stars declared the glory of God. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. But there are no words. The voice is not heard. But their message has gone out to the whole world. General revelation. God choosing to reveal himself through his creation. David goes on to say in 19, he kind of pivots, right? He glorifies God for his creation. He he says, God, your glory, your creation declares your glory. And then he kind of pivots. To the instruction. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are reliable and altogether right. They are more desirable than gold and an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundance of reward. So David starts out, God, I can see your glory in creation, and now your word. He uses six different words for scripture, right? Instruction, testimony. Precepts, commands, fear of the Lord. All of these different words in order to help us say all of God's word. All of what God's word is. Commands, precepts, instructions. All of it is good. He kind of changes, pivots from general revelation. God, we can see you in creation. And not, you didn't stop there. You gave us your very word. Right? Theologians call this special revelation. General revelation, we see God in his works. Special revelation, we see God in his word. He has given us the very word from God. We see the glory of God in creation, and we can see the glory of God in his word, that when we look out and we see his majesty and his power and his structure and order and creation, 
it invites us to trust him now in his word. The very same God that created the universe, that set things in order, has also revealed to us his character. Reveal to us his heart. Reveal to us his purpose. You see, special revelation doesn't negate general revelation, and it's not even above general revelation because both are revealed from the same God. What special revelation does is give context to general revelation. What the Word of God does is give context to creation. It gives its purpose. God's saying, this was my purpose in creation. This was my heart in creation. This is what I wanted in creation. To flesh that out, God gives us his word, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, sent to humanity. It's an invitation. I want you to hear this. Creation and his word general revelation, special revelation, are an invitation to presence. They're an invitation to presence. It's not just there so we can look at. It's not just there so we can read and memorize and obey and follow. It's there Invite us into the presence of God. It's always meant to be an invitation to presence. Knowing we would fail, knowing we wouldn't get this all right, knowing that we would, uh, humanity would see creation and be like, no, there's got to be a scientific explanation for this, so we're just going to keep exploring. There can't be a God. There's no way that a God could do this. Uh, so we're going to break everything down uh, to its simplest forms, and then we're going to try and figure out how this happened, right? There's got to be a scientific explanation for this. Knowing that humanity would try and figure it out through reason what happened, God sent it. He sends Jesus. He said in John... You don't have to turn there. It's, I don't think I have a slide for this. Um, in John 1, in the beginning, some of you might know this, in the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light that shines in the darkness. And yet the darkness did not overcome it. In the beginning. When God generally revealed himself through all of creation, was also what? The Word. God knew. They're going to look at my creation and they're going to try and explain it. 
I need, I need to reveal who I am to them. So he sent us his word. And even through the word, right, even through we read and we study and we meditate on God's word, and yet still when he invites us in, we still were like, man, I got to do better. My prayer life isn't as it should be. I'm not in my Bible as much as I should be. I'm not discipling others. I'm not being discipled. I'm not memorizing scripture. We go to performance. We look out and see God's creativity. We read his word. and We say, man, I'm not good enough. And God sends his son, what? To be present. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The very word of God sent to earth to dwell among us. He gave us his presence. And so the glory of God is shown in creation. The glory of God is shown in his word. And the glory of God is ultimately displayed in him. You see, all the fullness of God's creativity, all of the beauty, all of the majesty of creation was now manifested in a person, in a man. All of God's word, all of that special revelation, all of God, uh, his, his structure, his order, his precepts, his instructions, his commands, all of the wisdom and understanding now dwell fully manifested in his son. All of that special revelation. God says, I am going to have it dwell among you. The pinnacle of history, God sends his son. That now gives context and purpose to everything that had happened before. Creation. Humanity, sin. It now give con it gives context to everything happening after that. Jesus, the pinnacle of history, both points back to history and points forward to the future and says this is the fullness of God's revelation in one man. This is it. All of my heart, my purposes, my commands, I'm sending to you to be present. So everything that David writes about God's word, the instructions, are meant to, I don't have it, sorry, I don't have it marked, are meant to invite us into presence. God says, I'm sending my son because I want to be present with you. I am your God, you are my people. It gives context to the whole story. The story we're invited into. The story we're invited into isn't just to keep the commands. It is a part of that. 
because there's wisdom and understanding. It's not to perform. It's an invitation for presence. So family, just getting back from this retreat on in South Carolina um, of a network of churches, one of the things that, and as I've been praying and sitting in the last few days of just what God, what the Spirit wants to communicate to us this morning. It's this. We are invited into the presence of God. And that is what he's called us to. That is what he's called us into. And that is what he's called us to. As parents, as I am in the presence of God, and that is, then that is my responsibility to also show and lead my family into the presence of God. As a teacher, I can teach my students math all day long as much as they hate it. But my heart and what I'm called to is to live and speak in such a way that my students are invited into the very presence of God. As a friend, walking alongside other friends, other men, what I'm called into is to live and speak in such a way where they are invited into the very presence of God. All of my different roles and responsibilities, I first am called into the presence of God. And as I sit with the very God of the universe, I'm also called to live and speak in such a way that invites others into that presence as no student is greater than their master, so you cannot lead someone to a place you've never been. So we must accept the invitation to enter into the very presence of God. And as we do that, that is Chris and I's heart for this family. Not that we grow to be a mega church, not that we have all of the different programs, not that we have... Uh, the best preaching or the best worship or all of these different things. Our heart is that y'all and us would enter, would know the presence of God and live in such a way that invites others into that presence of God.